You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Good morning, everyone. I'm really sorry not to be with you in person today. Uh, Sadly, I tested positive for COVID yesterday and I thought that um, filming the talk was probably the best, next best thing to be being with you uh, in person. So I'm sad as I was really looking forward to doing this talk and my visual aid of an archery set is probably going to get a bit lost. But if you're in the building and you can see it on the stage, then that's that's good. And if you're listening to the podcast, just imagine an archery um, target, a bow and some arrows. And that's going to be a helpful metaphor for us throughout this talk. So we're right in the middle of our already good series, looking at the idea of original blessing as an alternative to original sin. And a couple of weeks ago, I did a talk called Explaining Evil, where we explored the reasons why, you know, if we're all wired for goodness and are inherently good, there are so many acts of evil committed in the world. And I promised in that talk that today I'd cover the word sin and what we do with that concept in the light of original blessing. So that's what I'm doing today as a kind of part two or at least linked talk to the one that I did uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know what comes into your mind when I mention the word sin. For some of us, it's quite a difficult word. Perhaps it's been used against us or weaponized. It's maybe made us feel guilty or bad about ourselves, ashamed of something that we've done. But for others of us, perhaps it's not a difficult word. It's a faith concept we get and accept as part of our daily lives. But whatever you think and whatever it brings up for you, perhaps just take a moment now to be aware of your own reaction and emotional response to it and just accept it without any judgment. And if you can lay that to one side just for 20 minutes or so, being open to perhaps reimagining or learning something new about the idea. So in this talk, I'm going to cover where the word sin comes from and how it's used in the Bible. And yes, there will be some archery talk as part of that. Then we'll move on to thinking about trajectories rather than targets. And we're going to again remind ourselves of the why, getting curious with why we and others do certain things and make certain decisions. And then we're going to finish by looking at the idea of repentance using an ancient Jewish five stage repentance process. So this word sin, where does it come from and what does it actually mean? Well, the New Testament actually uses a few different words that are translated as sin, but the most common one used 173 times is the word hamartie. And that can literally be be translated as missing the mark. And in other Greek writings of the time, it was actually an archery term. So it was used to describe what happened when an archer aimed at a target and missed the mark. So we can think of it as we have this goal or this target that we're aiming at, but sometimes we we don't get it quite right, we fall short, we miss the mark. And that word actually comes from a combination of two words, not and apart. So hamartia also alludes to a movement away from something, taking a direction of travel that is away from God. And repentance, translated in the New Testament from the Greek word metanoia, is about changing direction, turning around, changing our minds. One final word before I piece this all together. So in Judaism, the Torah is known as the first five books of the Bible. But actually in ancient times, the word Torah was used much more widely than that to describe teaching, instruction, guidance and direction. So this is where it gets really cool. So the root of the word, um, Hebrew word Torah, which is Yod Resh Hay, originally meant to throw or shoot an arrow. So a Torah is therefore something that directs, that guides and leads you in a certain direction. So putting all of that together, we have a goal or a target 
where we want to be and reach that we use God's teachings following Jesus to try and move towards that target. But we all sin and miss the mark and we can all repent or change direction, getting back on course to hit that target. Now, this bit is really important and it's perhaps where we need to do a bit of reimagining. So as Christians, I think we focus too much on the target and not enough on the trajectory. So we get obsessed, don't we, with the ways that we miss the mark and we love to tell other people when, in our opinion, they've missed the mark. And Christianity is at risk of um, being reduced to a set of targets. You know, if you miss them, you fail. So don't have sex before marriage, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, all those sorts of things. And, you know, don't get me wrong, those are good goals and good targets, but targets don't get hit without a trajectory, without a direction being travelled. And Paul says in his letter to the Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in his letter to the Philippians, which is um, this chapter 3, verse 12, he says that he isn't perfect and he hasn't been made perfect. But he says this, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. So maybe the goal isn't to hit the target, but to aim for it, to keep choosing a direction of travel, a trajectory that will lead us towards it. And we may fall short, we may miss the mark, but maybe actually it was never about the target in the first place, but the trajectory. And that's what's really important. So followers of Jesus were originally called followers of the way. So Jesus' disciples, they literally followed him around like other Jewish rabbis of the time who had their own followers. And there's an ancient rabbinical blessing that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you walk so closely to your rabbi following where they lead that the dust kicked up from their sandals walking on the path in front of you covers you. So we follow Jesus and his teachings, we follow his path, the way, and that leads us in the right direction. And we may never actually reach the goal, the target or the prize until God's kingdom comes in full, whatever that looks like. But let's at least make sure that we're headed in the right direction. Another reason I think it's really important to think about trajectories rather than targets is that no sin, nothing we do that takes us off course in a bad direction is isolated. Um, And as we talked a couple of weeks ago, there is always a why, there's always a set of circumstances and unhealed hurt and unmet need that leads to that sin. And I'll use um, a silly example to illustrate what I mean. Now, I know a lot of you are going to be quite shocked to hear this, but I can be a bit of a stress tidier. And I maybe haven't always been hugely aware of this or able to recognise when it's happening in the moment. So maybe I've had a stressful day at work, a few things have happened, someone sent me a snarky email, there's rats in the basement again, I've got loads of work and not enough time to do it and I come home with all of that on my mind and I'm rushing because I've got an evening meeting so I haven't got much time either. And chilled, non-stressed Joe doesn't mind a few random piles of stuff or a few things not put away around the house. But stressed Joe will slightly aggressively start putting things away, being quite rude and unkind and snappy and completely unreasonable to her lovely wife who doesn't deserve it and probably didn't actually put the stuff there in the first place. So I say something I shouldn't say. I make Sarah feel rubbish and that isn't okay. 
Um, so on the screen, you'll see a, a trajectory um, diagram and uh, it just plots out all those points. So if, you, um, if you're listening to the podcast, you haven't missed anything that I haven't already described. And I need to say, by the way, that I don't think stress tiding is a sin. I actually think it's a very productive and useful coping mechanism. I just had to get that in there. <laughs> um, I don't know if there are things that you do if I've got any other, if I've got any stress tidier friends. Um, but my point is that there are things that I could do earlier on in the trajectory, the road, the path up to that point to change it and change the direction I was headed in. And I'm trying to be more aware of my own emotions and reactions so I can in the moment go, oh, hang on, I think I'm stress tidying. Stop, take a moment, maybe tell Sarah about my rubbish day and explain it would make me feel better if we could tidy up a bit. And I could have probably come home earlier, you know, knowing that if I have a meeting in the evening, I shouldn't work the whole day before it. So taking rest, time out is likely to reduce stress and make me more able to process and recover from the rubbish day I've had. So again, we need to get curious about the trajectory and we all make crappy decisions and do stupid things. And yes, we shouldn't do them and it's not okay. But I think most of us know that already. And to change it, we have to look at the trajectory rather than the target. So what led to me doing that? Why did I do that? How can I make sure I don't do that again? Getting curious. The trajectory also reveals a lot about communal, collective and connectional sin. So our view of sin in the West has become very individualised. So we don't talk much about structural sin, powers and principalities, empires and, and the imbalance of power in our societies. So we've all been heartbroken to see the the situation in Gaza at the moment and what Hamas did is evil and a clear act of sin but if we get curious about why they did it what led to this point when we understand more about the Palestinian people and how they're oppressed by an oppressive regime like Israel we can begin to understand it it doesn't justify it but the trajectory helps us understand it Now, I know nothing about archery, but I assume a good archer when taking aim will need to consider factors that might make their arrow miss the mark or veer off course. Uh, Maybe their stance, their hand position, the weather conditions and wind direction. And likewise, we need to consider the factors that might veer us off course and that might be different for everyone. So these can be really big one off things like trauma or life circumstances, but they can also be lots of tiny things repeated or added together, patterns or habits that gradually build to something that guides us in an unhealthy direction. So that's always a good question to ask. What steers me off course? And we talked a bit already about staying curious rather than judgmental and that when we think about evil, we need to understand the reasons why and not judge others. Jesus uses a metaphor saying that we love to point out the speck of dust in someone else's eye, but refuse to see the plank of wood in our own. But having said that, a really key tool in all of this is, I think, self-compassion. We've got to love ourselves and show grace to ourselves and forgive ourselves. And that doesn't mean that we're letting ourselves off the hook or not taking responsibility for our actions. But let's always do that through a lens of self-compassion. I also think, and this might be a slightly controversial thing to say, but I think acts of sin are actually very different to making mistakes. So making mistakes is okay. It's the natural process of growing and learning. And I actually think Jesus made mistakes and I'll explain what I mean by that. So in Luke 2, we read a really interesting story about Jesus as a young person, temporarily separated from his parents, only to be found in the temple, listening to the scriptures, asking questions and amazing people with his knowledge. And in verse 52 of Luke 2, we're told that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and men. Really? Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus could grow in something. Jesus wasn't born with total and complete wisdom. 
And then there's Hebrews 5 uh, verses 8 to 9, which says this, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, Jesus was learned, Jesus learned things. Jesus was made perfect. So he wasn't before. Jesus was fully human. He was not born potty trained. He had to learn how to walk, to talk, to feed himself, to read and write. He was a carpenter or general handyman for a more theologically accurate um, translation of that word. Now, I've never um, I've never trained to be a carpenter, but I did do GCSE resistant materials, which is pretty much the same thing. And I was honestly just absolutely awful at it. It took me months to learn how to saw properly, make joints and hammer nails in the right places. And I imagine that Jesus would have been the same. I hope, you know, probably made some like really dodgy tables, the ones where you have to cut put a couple of napkins under a leg to stop your dinner from flying off the table and so I'm not trying to argue that Jesus wasn't perfect or sinless at all but perhaps this is sometimes the problem in our thinking when we see making a mistake as a sin rather than just a mistake inevitable in the process as we learn and grow into the person God is shaping us to be making mistakes isn't failing it isn't sinning it can't be if Jesus did it and one final point before we move into our last section So one thing I've learned about myself and others is that so often sin is caused by a need that isn't met. So unmet need gets met. You know, you will find a way to meet a need you have. And if it isn't being met, sometimes we can choose unhealthy or destructive ways to meet that need. So maybe someone craving intimacy could have an affair. Maybe somebody without a way to express anger could take that out on someone else emotionally or physically. But you get the idea. So it's really, really important to be aware of our needs. And if we can't meet those needs right now in that moment, because it isn't always possible, how do we protect ourselves and others from unhealth? Right. Lastly, repentance. So this idea of changing direction when we veer off course. And actually, let's just start with the joy and the relief of that. There's always a way back, always a second, third, fourth chance, always grace to try again and choose a different path to the one we're on. So whatever you feel you've done, whatever mess you're in, whatever pattern you don't think you can get out of, there is hope. And there's always a way, always an opportunity for change and growth and healing and wholeness. That's one of the joys of being a Christian. And I'm going to cover this idea very briefly due to the time, limited time we've got this morning, but it's explained fully in Rabbi Daniel Ruttenberg's book, which is called On Repentance and Repair. Um, and I'd really recommend that you read that if you want to think more about what repentance actually actually means. So Ruttenberg's book is based on the work of a 12th century philosopher and Torah scholar whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce. And he came up with these five stages of teshuva or repentance, which in Hebrew is actually more about returning. So coming back to where you were supposed to be before you cause the harm and here are those five stages and I think they're really helpful for us to think about and do a bit more work on but like I said do um, have a look at her book and there's lots of podcasts and things where she's interviewed about it that you could also have a look for as well so it's Daniel Ruttenberg. So the first stage is owning the harm so kind of a confession you know naming what you've done and acknowledging the impact it's had. Second stage is beginning to change. So what do you need to do to make sure that you don't do that thing again? Maybe a relationship needs ending. Maybe you need to do a bit of therapy or educate yourself around something specific. But taking those first steps to bring about the change that's needed. The third stage is making amends. And interestingly, this comes before any apology. This is really about repairing, mending, fixing, trying where you can to reverse the damage that you've done. And what those reparations look like shouldn't be decided by you, but by whoever you've harmed. So you ask, what can I do to make this right? And then you do it. 
And we see examples of this on a small scale, like if you hit someone's car, you pay for it to be repaired, or on a larger scale, such as reparations made by companies involved in the slave trade. In the Guide to International Humanitarian Law, there are actually five different types of reparations, so it can look very different. Um, there's restitution, so giving something back that you stole or, or replacing that thing. Compensation, rehabilitation, satisfaction, which is stuff like a public apology or perhaps the ceasing of policies or laws that cause the harm. And guarantees of non-repetition. So making amends, repairing things can look different in each situation. The fourth stage of repentance then is apologising. So saying sorry, not in a like, I'm sorry you you felt like that or I did it because of these reasons, not making excuses, but, you know, just that I harmed you in these ways. It was my fault and I'm really sorry. And finally, making different choices. So behave differently next time and what needs to be put in place to stop you from doing the same thing again. And as Christians, I think we're probably don't do enough of this stuff and we have a lot to learn from our Jewish friends. So we take advantage of the fact that we assume automatic forgiveness from God, but we forget that we need to also ask for the forgiveness of those we've harmed and take practical action sometimes to repair the harm that we've caused. I'll finish with this quote from the book Original Blessing by Danielle Schroyer, which is the book that we um, have been kind of looking at as part of this series. So yeah, if you if you haven't read that, do pick up a copy of that. So she says this, we are not born sinful, we are born human. Within us lies the potential for both creation and destruction, both blessing and curse. To be human is to be capable of both incredible good and terrifying evil. If we deny either side of that potential, we're living unaware. So we aim for the target, knowing we might miss, fall short, never reach it, but we're steered in the right direction by following Jesus and living his way. We need to be aware of the stuff in our own lives that might steer us off course, understanding that trajectories are more important sometimes than targets. We need to carry on being curious and not judgmental, and we need to practice self-compassion. Making mistakes is not the same as sin. And again, we need to have grace for ourselves when we make mistakes and understand what we've learned and how we've grown through that mistake. And when we mess up or head in the wrong direction, change is always, always possible. We can repent, which just means turn around, change direction, and sometimes we can even repair the harm that we've caused. We're not sinful, we are human, and we have the potential for both good and evil. And how we live and the direction we travel in are up to us every day. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.